So when I was growing up, I played hockey and I loved playing hockey and I was good at playing hockey, or so I thought. If you've ever played sports and you've developed like some semblance of talent, you'll know that like, as you get to a greater level of skill in certain teams, um, there are things that you just realize, okay, this is a shortcoming in my game. And so that was true for me. Um, I had a shortcoming, the height was it. Uh, and so once I started playing like select or triple A, that was one of the things that my assistant coach said. He was like, listen, you've got the skill, um, you don't have the height and you can't teach size. And so you're going to have to develop speed, agility and quickness. And so him alongside my dad, who was very passionate about my hockey development, this is about to be the most Canadian sermon ever, by the way, um, enrolled me in power skating. Anybody ever done power skating before at any of our sites? Okay, you know, it's just like hockey, except without any fun. So no gloves, no sticks, no pucks, skates, pads, helmets, and ice. And that's it. And I remember the first um, few sessions with this coach who was like a world champion. She was a, a power skater, like an Olympic power skater. Um, she was just like watching our fundamentals. So watching what our feet did, watching what our legs did, watching our side to side agility, how we transferred our power and weight back and forth. Um, and she lined us up in those first few weeks and just said like, these are the fundamentals. These are the fundamentals. In Canadian hockey, it tends to be like less stick and puck work, but more speed, agility. What you do with your feet on the ice determines where the puck goes and where you go. And so that's what we did. We went forward and backwards, learning the feel of the feet, those fundamental um, you know, bullet points of what it means to play on a sheet of ice. Like I said, the most Canadian sermon ever. Um, and then adding in the repertoire of like agility, side to side, forward, back for, backward um, transfer of weight that all led to speed, that led to your north, south being faster and faster and faster. And for somebody like me that didn't have the size, the speed and agility was a key part of my game. And then the last week she lined us up all on the blue line, um, gave us all of our feedback and said, my friends, my friends, what you do with what you've learned with these basic fundamentals of skating will alter the course of your hockey careers. Remember it, do it, and keep going. And so my friends, here today and across all of our sites, I am convinced that what we do with the fundamentals of the teaching and the love and the life of Jesus will alter the course of our lives today. What we do with the life and teaching, the person of Jesus will alter everything about our life today, even if we're just starting today. So maybe you're here and this is like your thousandth time in church. It's your thousandth time handling a biblical text. It's your thousandth time in community, or maybe it's your very first time and you are just figuring out the fundamentals. So welcome to part three of our series, Resolution where we as a church family across all of our sites are reflecting back on the year that has been, taking a pause and a breath for the moment that is in the life of our church and also our individual lives as Christ followers, and then taking a look hopefully with some clarity into the year that will be. And so, and then resolving to be closer to Jesus, to keep going, to believe and obey and follow um, in step with the person, the mission, the teaching, and the spirit of Jesus that is alive and making its home in each one of us. So our series in review, we started um, our year out with a bang 
Yang with Brother Quincy talking about like, don't forget to, does anybody remember? Remember. remember. Don't forget to remember. What does it look like to take a look back on the things that maybe we need to release and let go of? Uh, the things that we need to repent of, and then the process of being restored to relationship with Jesus and with each other. And then last week, so wonderfully, uh, Laura led us through a teaching on like responding to that, like the, the apostle Paul talking in Colossians three around, like, this is what you used to be like back here. It's not who you are today. And it's not what you're heading into in the future. In Jesus is the fullness of all creation. In Jesus is the fullness of God's presence and reality. And this same spirit that resurrects Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So, put to death the things of the past. And then today, restoration, my friends, restoration. How is God and what is God rebuilding and restoring in us? I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. Oh my goodness, I love this section of scripture. Wherever you're tuning in from, from one of our sites, um, if you wanna grab a Bible, if, you're, if you have never handled a Bible before and you're like, yeah, I was that first person who's just arriving here for the first time, or maybe you're stepping into the potential of a life of faith for the first time. The Gospel of John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So if you go to the middle of the Bible, turn right, go to the Gospel of John, you'll see it as a heading, and then to the 14th chapter. And we're gonna read almost the entire chunk of it because it is a formative example of obedience, of um, the restoration of faith in a group of people who are absolutely struggling, dismayed, doubting, and resting on religion, and then the work of the spirit that is alive uh, in them. So John chapter 14. Now the backstory is really, really fascinating. Um, John points out that in the beginning of chapter 13, Jesus invites, we're moving towards the upper room discourse. Have any of you heard of that before? Maybe you've heard or read the Bible before. It's the upper room. Literally, Jesus is taking his closest uh, inner network of followers and disciples, his newfound spiritual family, his followers, his Talmudid, up into the upper room on the cusp of, on the precipice of his imminent betrayal, death, um, resurrection and then the move of the spirit into uh, the, the work of the acts of the apostles. It's brilliant and brilliant. But just before that, just before that, he takes his earliest disciples into the upper room. And do you remember what he does? He takes off his outer garment. He's wearing his uh, under, undergarment and he washes their feet. Now, I think this has been like really um, vanillaed in our Christian culture and even in, um, you know, common culture today, we think, oh, wash the feet, it means to serve. Yeah, yeah, this was a, a crazy task for any rabbi or leader in any semblance um, of this idea and practice. Washing somebody's feet in an agrarian culture, in a rural agrarian culture, which is what Jesus was a part of. He's a traveling, a wandering rabbi who's teaching a new way with these disciples that are um, shut out of religion. They've failed out of Torah school essentially, and they're practicing the trades of their mothers and fathers. And he invites them to the upper room. He strips off his outer clothing, a symbol of like power and put togetherness and is in basically his undies. And he washes off their feet that would have accumulated from a day of travel, dirt in between their toes, under their toenails, washing their feet. Why? This is the symbol of the upside down reality of this new kingdom, this new way of being, that God is not up and away on his throne, ruling with power and lightning um, and violence. 
but here willing to serve. And this is what Jesus says. Like one of the disciples, Peter says, no, hey, listen, no, you can't do this. What are you doing? What are you doing? This is so offensive to our culture. This is what the servants and slaves do, not you. And Jesus is like, yo, paraphrase, you have to learn this. This is the upside down way of the kingdom. This is the new economy that you're going to be a part of. And then Peter, do you remember what he says? He's like, well, if you're going to do that, wash all of me, all of me, baptize me, the whole thing, wash it all. And she's like, you're being weird. No, that's not what this symbol is. Um, so, so in order to lead, you must serve. He then announces his imminent betrayal. He's done that deed. He's pre- preparing them for the Passover meal. He's sharing an intimate fellowship-based reminder of God's covenant in Torah. And then he will take them into the stratosphere of new covenant, of a new understanding of what it means to be loved by God and for God to make his home and dwelling in and through them. But before that chapter 13, we're not even in chapter 14 yet. He announces, by the way, um, you'll all essentially betray or desert. And then somebody pushes back and is like, Peter, again, not me, Lord. All these other jokers, maybe, but not me. And she's like, actually, before even the sun comes up, you will, you will. Trust me, trust me. No, 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 not, not I. And then they get to the appetizer part of the meal and Jesus invites Judas very clearly to go and do like what you're about to do. Judas, uh, then Judas Iscariot then heads out um, to the very people who will serve as judge and jury and then the executioners um, that will kill, execute Jesus. And he's just said that he will suffer and die. And then he's predicted their own suffering and dispersion. This is a wonderful Swiss chalet meal so far. This is the backstory, chapter 13. And yet Jesus doesn't offer them calamity. Uh, uh, He does not say to them, just like bite down on the rope, suck it up, buckle up, it's gonna be tough. No, he does not offer them just a, a, a covering philosophy of, um, you know, disillusionment, disenfranchisement or, or deconstruction, but instead he offers them hope, belief, faith, and restoration. Hope, belief, faith, and restoration. John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will be where I am. You will always be where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, though, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip then said, Lord, show us God, show us God the Father and we'll be good, we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or at least believe because the work that you have seen me do in their ministry travels together. You've seen it happen. Believe in the work that you've seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Holy smokes, literally, even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the father. Yes. Ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. 
If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate or paraclete or counselor who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you, will make his dwelling abode abiding in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you soon. The world will no longer see me, but you will see me since I live. You will also live. And when I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my father and that you are in me and I am in you. Are we getting this yet? Are we getting this yet? He's repeating and repeating and repeating this intimacy, this new way of understanding this uh, reciprocal relationship with God. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them also. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that same name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large. And Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and we will make our home with each one of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the father sends the advocate, the paraclete, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you, or um, the, the Greek rendering is like bubble up, conjure up, remind your soul of, he will remind you of everything that I have told you or taught you. And so I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled and do not be afraid. I told you, my goodness. So the first step there, the very first thing that Jesus reminds them of is presence. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Uh, And this is a command, a command that I give to you. You trust in God, trust also in me, trust, believe faith also in me. And in my father's house are many Rooms, okay. In mansions of, heard that song before? This is like um, untrue or misaligned rendering of this text. A lot of us have grown up in a tradition, or I'll speak for myself, that reads um, a chapter like this in a gospel like this and says, oh, that's about heaven. Perfect. We'll go through suffering for a little while and then we go somewhere else. And like God in his brilliance has provided like a three-story back split, five plus one bedrooms, nice backyard, two dogs, no cats, uh, you know, in a, in a suburb off in the corner of heaven backing onto a, a golf course. If, if that's what we think this section of scripture is about, about a, a spiritual escapism, we are missing the intimacy of fellowship with the divine, what Jesus is getting to. In my father's house are many rooms. The word is not mansions, brothers and sisters, it's rooms. They're in an upper room now, an intimate fellowship with this person who claims to be divine, the Messiah, the redeemer, the restorer of all things. And he's stating that they will live, make their dwelling, find their home, their living life, abiding with God in relationship through him. Now, Jesus is very, very clearly um, signaling the well-known Jewish marriage custom of betrothal. Um, which, again, just the brilliance of Jesus using uh, common language and allegory, common visual examples that they've been like, oh, it's like that. Uh, permission to riff for a few minutes here? Permission to riff? Permission to riff? Okay, very good. Now, 
um, the betrothal ceremony, it, when, when you were fit to be married, it followed a certain path in ancient uh, Jewish custom. In the first century, it was the uh, very often, most often usual for the prospective bridegroom to take the initiative. So it was the man with the blessing of his father and mother that, that sought out a bride and took the initiative to prepare the way for that marriage union to happen. The prospective bridegroom would travel from his father's and mother's house to the house of the bride and once there he would negotiate the covenant on behalf of both families and at that time the cost of marrying the young woman with her father to become married to the bride and once the the bridegroom had agreed uh, and and the the father and mother of both families had agreed the covenant was established and the couple were then in that moment regarded to be husband and wife pre ceremony. It was in the establishment of the families together and the promise of a covenant, the entering into the covenant that was like, okay, we're in this for each other together forever. For this reason shall a man leave his own father and mother to be cleaved to or enfleshed to um, his spouse. And then from this point on, the bride was considered to be holy, consecrated, set apart. Holy, consecrated, and set apart. Heart, soul, body, and mind for this long life, ups and downs, straight path, windy path, smooth path, rocky, crooked path, relationship that is called marriage. And then get this as a symbol to mark the relationship. Um, once they uh, ha- had um, kind of passed through the, the family agreement, the bride and the groom would offer a cup of wine together and say, this is the symbol of our new covenant together. Jesus after dinner in the same way takes the second cup of wine and says, this is the symbol, the marker of my new covenant, the blood which is poured out for you. And so after this cup of wine was drunk together, uh, they would drink together and then a benediction or a blessing would be performed by the family. And after the marriage covenant had been established, the groom would then leave and return to his father's house to prepare another room, a final place where they would live out their covenant together. In my father's house are many rooms. I go there to prepare a place for you. My brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Jesus is saying to them and to us. This is... Entering into intimacy with the divine through Jesus, this is a lifelong union. This is a lifelong intimate fellowship, relationship initiated, consecrated, set apart and ordained by God that will never end, but there's choice in it for us. This is the restorative work that God is doing in this intimate partnership. He will keep his part of the deal and he invites us in to to this restorative union, not unlike marriage with highs and lows, dips uh, and turns, union with him that will never end. Hope, belief, faith and obedience, restoration to intimacy and relationship with God. And what does Jesus say this will look like in John chapter 14? At the helm of everything that's just happened, betrayal from these people who he's now inviting into marriage, like spiritual marriage, it's crazy. The, the unwillingness to like serve, the offense that they have of Jesus willing to stoop and the denial of like, we would never do this, we would never do this. Jesus still offers them what I think are really um, three helpful concepts. Number one, belief and trust. Um, 
believing and trusting in the, the, the work and the mission of God and Jesus and following and obeying and then just keeping going, which I think is the most convincing part of, uh, of this discourse to me. Okay, so belief and trust. Um, what does Jesus say you've seen when you've seen the son? The father. And who is the father? This, this is the creator, parent, God, the breather of all life. What they were asking for, Jesus is like jazz hands. Ta-da, you're seeing it. You're seeing it. I don't know why you're waiting for something else. Someone with a deeper voice or, or more warring power. It's just not how the created order was ever planned out to be. When you have seen me or heard me, you have seen and heard the Father. You will experience the Spirit, in fact, the Holy Spirit, which to this point was only bestowed upon people for special circumstances. And this is now a lifelong special circumstance of intimate fellowship and union with God. When you have seen the Father, you've seen the Son. When you've heard and seen the Son, you've heard and seen the Father. And you'll experience both of these things when you trust in and experience the Spirit. Faith, trust, belief in the Son. And that this isn't just like... Um, a matter of thinking the right way, which was like a common commodity of ancient Judaism at the time. It's like, well, we, we rest and learn and are informed by the memorization, the recitation and the walking out of Torah, which is wisdom, which is teaching. This, these are the rules and these, these are the, the transcripts of law that we must follow. And Jesus flips the script says, yeah, it's, it's actually fulfilled in the way that you walk it out though. It's fulfilled in the way that you walk it out. The word faith in, in Greek, like we think of faith inviting Jesus into uh, like our heart, right? I, I trust, I take a leap of faith. It's like a risk, a walk, a jump into the unknown. And this is the complete opposite word picture that Jesus uses. Uh, the better rendering is um, like faith thing, relationshiping. It's the doing, it's the being, it's the partaking in, not just the like, well, trust that some fingers crossed applesauce. Hopefully something will happen on the other side of it. It's like, no, you're entering into a covenant practice, not unlike marriage with the divine. This is crazy. This is wonderfully, beautifully, lovingly crazy. We put our faith and trust in what we know and see to be true in this relationship. Even if you don't remember my words, Jesus says, think about the work that you've seen me do. Verse 10, 11. Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. So just believe, just trust just have faith in that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of what you've seen, the evidence that shows you that the divine is here and the Son, and that you're invited into partnership and relationship with the Son. Believe because of the work that you've seen me do. So believe and trust. This is part of, like I would say, the foundation, the ice underneath our skates uh, that starts everything off, belief and trust, believing this to be true and then trusting in ongoing relationship with the divine belief and trust and then following and obeying. Now, this is the most um, radical for our culture, I would say, radical for the culture and the ears, uh, the hearers of this teaching. You know, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the father, the creator, the, the breath, the experience of God, except through me. Jesus is what God looks like and sounds like and speaks like. 
And what does Jesus say to do? Don't worry about it. It's all good. I got you. Just chill, relax. No, obey my commands. You, you have to do something with it. You have to do something with it. It's the failure of many of our resolves in the new year, not even just spiritually. It's like, you know, I want to lose weight or I want to, I want to be a runner. And then we never run. And it's like, well, how is that why I have running magazine? Great. But you have to actually obey the concepts that the principles behind it. You can't just sit at home on your couch with dill pickle chips, which I love no smoke to that and say, I'm going to be a runner. You have to lean into the obedience of the commands that will get you to that spot. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So obey my commands more completely. Keep my commands, keep them up keep doing them. What you've seen me do, you do, and you'll do even greater. What you've learned from me, you, you will do and you will teach. It will not serve you well enough to just stay in the upper room and be like, what did he say in that one? Po- oh my goodness. Yeah, pass me some bread. No, you're going to have to leave this room and go and do it. Obey my commands. Now it's interesting when he's asked, um, certainly a couple times in each of the gospels, when Jesus is asked to boil down, okay, what is it that God wants? Do you remember what he says? Love God and love others. This is the fullness of the commands. The apostle Paul will later say that as will um, James, the brother of Jesus is like, it's, it's, the, it's the believing that God loves you and that you love him. And then the, the reciprocity of doing that to others, love God and love others, love God and love others. Keep your part of the covenant. You have to do something. You have to. God wants us to mature in relationship in this process to take the necessary steps of getting off our butts and being, being part of the unstoppable force of good that God is doing in the world by his spirit. And the promise is not just empty. It's like, go do it and see what happens. <laughs> no, but that God will make his dwelling, that God will abide in, live in, make his presence known and shown in us, with us, in us, in you. Dr. Colin Cruz, he's a, um, a New Testament scholar um, at the uh, Melbourne School of Theology. He writes it so wonderfully. He says, when Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, we should not think of him just returning to heaven and then having arrived there, setting about the construction of rooms for his disciples to occupy, by the way, a task he's now been occupied with for some 2000 years. Rather, rather, listen, this is it here. Rather, we should recognize that by his very going, his betrayal, crucifixion and execution, his resurrection and exaltation, that he made it possible for us to dwell, abide, and live in the presence of God. Verse 22, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and we will make our home. I and the father and the spirit. We will make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey. They just won't do it. It's just philosophical or intellectual ascent that never makes its way to their feet or their skates or the ice. Like I said, the most Canadian sermon ever. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me, who you are requesting to see. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the father sends the advocate as my representative, the paraclete, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you, remind you, instruct you in everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you, not just so that you'll remember it, but so that you will do it, so that you will walk out your part of this covenant. 
Remember the will and the way of Jesus. Don't just think about it, but actually do it. And this is the difference in the effective Christian walk. People who actually like bear this out in their everyday lives. We don't just shutter ourselves in upper rooms or fancy church services, but we actually walk this out into our everyday life, being obedient, being our part of this marriage covenant with God. Just like Laura said last week, which I thought was so good, referring back to, um, she walked us through Colossians chapter three. If you haven't watched it, go back and watch it. In every way, thought and action, we are reflecting and embodying this new life in Christ, she said last week. Putting to death the things that are slowly killing us and deforming us. Put to death these things. And then Paul makes a, le- a list of these things that are deforming us. And instead trading or, or upping uh, your part of the covenant and, and receiving the life and work of the spirit that is renewing and restoring and regenerating us and abiding and living in us. This is the restoration work of God in Jesus by his spirit that is at work and available to every single one of us whether we've been here for the hundredth time or for the first time. God is living, wanting to abide and enter into covenant relationship, make his dwelling and presence known in, around, and through us. So believe and trust, follow and obey, and then keep going. Keep going. You notice by the end, Jesus doesn't just like um, double down on dismissing their fear. He's not like, Seriously, you guys, give me a break. Okay, enough with the gentle talk. Like it's tough love time. You guys are morons. You're gonna get killed. Deal with it. Look what I have to go through. No. And so he says, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. And later on in John's gospel and earlier in John's gospel, actually, uh, Jesus will refer to like um, in this world, you'll suffer or you'll, 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 you will encounter trouble. You'll encounter trouble. So suck it up. No, but take heart. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. This is not all that there is. Your daily troubles and struggles are not the definition of your working relationship with the divine. So keep going, my friends, keep going. Keep your resolve. God is restoring you and us. You can trust his part of this marriage relationship, this divine fellowship. You can trust that he is restoring you to his likeness to do good work in the world, even greater work, even greater work with the inspiration, illumination and the indwelling, the living in of the spirit, even greater work in the world than even Jesus did, which we skip past most times. Like, wait, what, what, what? Greater work, well, like how could we do greater work? I was reading one commentator um, this last week and then I listened to a, an interview with N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright would suggest that uh, this greater work is actually the formation, the organization of the church. The manifest body of Christ that Jesus gathered a few and that the spirit alive in the few gathered billions. And we are the result of that today you will do greater works. And my brothers and sisters gathered here today, you are part of that. You are living proof of of the resurrected body and hope of Jesus. So for goodness sake, keep going, keep going. Even when it doesn't feel like it, like you should. Keep going, take heart, keep going. Even when it takes a windy path, keep going. Even when it might feel like suffering, keep going. Even when it feels like you're walking through hell, keep 
going. Jesus is with us, renewing, restoring, offering his peace of mind and heart, abiding and living and making his fellowship with us by his spirit. Verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift, a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot, will not, and will not ever give you. So don't be troubled. Don't be freaked out. Don't be afraid. I got you. Keep going, trusting, abiding, and living into the restorative work of Jesus that's happening in you. Um, I was part of and got to uh, watch this interview with uh, John Mark Comer, who is a, a wonderful theological brother of mine. He doesn't know me, but shout out to John Mark if you're watching. You're not. Um, has really informed my, my practical theology, not my th- philosophical theology, how I think about God, but how I act like I think about God. Um, and he was asked in this interview about his own spiritual growth and the process of his career direction that he's in now of stepping out of pastoral ministry, of stepping out of leading mega churches. And just, he, he actually said, he's like, oh, if I could have my wish, I would just like live in the woods with my wife and kids and make pizza, pray and drink coffee. That's it. And I'm like, <laughs> not a bad plan, but asked about his future aspiration. Like, what are you resolving to do? Here's what he said. He said, I just hope each year I look a little bit more like Jesus. I hope I reflect a little bit more of the love of God to others. I I, I hope I show a bit more of the fruit of the spirit, my habits, my words, my money, my gentleness with my family and friends. I hope these relationships continue to look and feel more like Jesus and like being around Jesus together. John Mark Homer, the spirit alive in this faithful brother, moving us away from power, moving us away from just the empty philosophy that is religion and instead the empowerment of the spirit to actually do the work of being an intimate relationship of abiding with Jesus through the power of the spirit. That's a resolution, a resolve that I want to be part of too. Just these incremental steps of keep goingness that like, imagine if each of us next year, we were 15% more like Jesus, 15% more fruit of the spirit, 15% more generous and joyful, 15% more loving, 15% more um, conflict and war avoidant, 15% more peace making, seeking, um, uh, restoring and loving. Imagine what we would look like, what the witness of our church would be like, what the witness of the global church would be if we 15% more just made those incremental keep going steps. And this is the slow work, the slow worth it work of God rebuilding and restoring us that we have a part in that God is wanting for us to abide, live, to home into. So as we're kind of three weeks into this brand new year, what is God rebuilding and restoring in us? John chapter 14, belief and trust, a willingness to follow and obey and a willingness to keep going, to trust in the restorative work of God in and through us by his Holy Spirit. My friends, I'm convinced that what we do with this will alter the course of our individual communal and church lives. I'm convinced. So at the beginning of this year, right now, in this moment, wherever you're watching from, may we be a church that resolves to step into or step back into divine intimacy of a life following Jesus. May we be a church that resolves to follow and obey Jesus in like-minded restorative community. 
And may we be a church that resolves to keep going by the power of the spirit. Even if the path winds, wanes, sucks, gets rocky, may we keep going together. I'd love to end us with uh, an ancient prayer of Augustine of Hippo, who was a, a, a mystical philosophical church father who was convinced about the person of Jesus and was writing all of his own prayer practices. And so he writes this ancient prayer of blessing um, and his, his sort of title track for this prayer um, was uh, a common practice, how we commonly practice the way of Jesus together. So I'd invite us to stand uh, as we, you know, sit under this wonderful ancient blessing, wherever you're tuning in from one of our sites, I'd invite you to stand. And uh, with whatever posture of receptivity that you feel comfortable engaging with, with your physical body and spirit, body, soul, and mind, may these words bless you as a witness to the church and a witness for us today of God's resolving and restorative work in us. You, O Lord, he writes, who invites me to ask, grant that I may receive. You have put me to seeking. Let me be happy in finding. You've asked me to knock. I pray you'll be faithful to open. Would you in your grace be pleased to direct and govern all my thoughts and actions that for the future I may serve you and be entirely devoted to obeying and following you? Accept me, I ask, and draw me to yourself that I may from now onward be yours in obedience and love as I am fully and wholly yours, your child. I am yours, Lord Jesus, who lives and reigns and guides forever and ever. And together we all said, amen, amen and amen.